Hello, friends, and welcome to Stories from the Tool Shed. My name's Stephen. And my name's Tim. And we're excited to journey with you through the Spiritual Authority Cohort. Let's get it! Well, hello, cohorts. Welcome back to another podcast of Stories from the Tool Shed. Hey, we did tell you that we had the bonus episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And I uh, hope it was encouraging. Um, Tim and I really enjoyed that podcast of kind of hearing some of the stories around the United States and world now that the cohorts have been extended to other countries. And uh, we're coming to you today with a topic on priestly prayer. Um, I wish you could see my screen right now. I've got Kelsey Phillips, John A. Rasmussen, and Keith Ebley. And uh, we're about to start a conversation after our cohorts on priestly prayer. Um, So sit back and enjoy this episode. So as we get started in this conversation, um, man, maybe you're like a lot of us where you hear priestly prayer and you're like, whoa, this is like a new topic, right? Like I've never heard of this before. Um, This feels really new. I mean, Tim, did you you feel that or was that just kind of me? Uh, Maybe that was my background. Yeah, I, um, man, I remember sitting there and uh, I, I remember being struck mostly by the teaching. It was fun. It was comical. And I had never thought of myself as a priest before and didn't even necessarily know what that meant. And so this teaching kind of fell on fresh ears a little bit. I mean, I was familiar with the passages and heard about it. I never actually made the connection of, oh, that's talking about me. And beyond that, even if I thought that's talking about me, like what did it mean and what role did that put me in? I never got that far into thinking of it uh, applying to me. And so, yeah, using it and seeing it, all I can say is it, it feels like something changes both in me and in my expectation for what is about to happen. And it's kind of like, uh, okay, I've done that. Now let's sit back, relax, and see what God does. And it has changed my participation in what's going around and what's going around almost in every context. It's kind of interesting to think about how much and how many things have changed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's my experience too. And I I mean, if you're an evangelical like me, when you think of priesthood, you think of like high church, uh, maybe even Catholicism, you know, and like you're like, well, that's what priests are. But then you start seeing this in the scripture where you're like, wait, we are a royal priesthood. But what does that mean? Um, and so I think Keith, John A. and Kelsey have helped us take steps in that direction as our identity. Um, not only are we sons and daughters of God, but we are a royal priesthood. And so um, as we start this conversation today, you know, I've asked Keith really to just kind of like catch us up. So we've had the teaching session Um, Now we've been practicing this new activating prayer tool. But Keith, I I just want you, just kind of wherever the Lord leads you, I I just want to ask you like, okay, we've been in the session, we've learned a little about priestly prayer, but maybe a question to you, Keith, is how does this come up in your day-to-day life? And do you have any stories? Like, I I know you just got back from Dubai, but how how does that work on trips? How does that work in your your day-to-day life, and I'd love to just hear a little of that from you. 
Yeah, thanks, Stephen. You know, uh, great to be back. Great to be in the tool shed with you both. <laughs> and uh, been listening to your recordings, they're just great. So uh, looking forward to our time together today. Yeah, I just was in Dubai for a week um, working with the Middle East team and um, working on some strategy and planning with them. Um, but uh, it is, it's probably a good, good way to, uh, partly because I'm jet-lagged also from having just come back, so uh, good for me just to focus on that trip right now, but uh, and say, how does, it, how does it really work? Well, the first thing is you, I get to take three, three uh, flights to get to Dubai, you know, and then I get to take three flights back. So, you know, six more times to practice praying on planes, uh, which is one of the things that was, was in the write-ups. Um, and that's, that's part of what I do now. I've had to extend that a little bit now. So, you know, we talked about how I pray on planes in terms of writing that up, but uncovering the plane and um, removing enemies, any kind of claims on that and bringing the, just the blessing of God and praying in uh, to the plane that it would be like heaven uh, on the plane uh, for our time and praying for safety. And um, that's been good. But, you know, th- now we're in the middle of flying in a pandemic, which means that um, you got to get uh, it's a lot more complicated traveling. Right? You got to get the right documents with the right dates on them. And then um, you're really at the mercy of the, the like lowest level employee at every phase of where you're going. Right? <laughs> if somebody decides that there's a new rule or they didn't like your paperwork or whatever, you're just stuck. Right. And you can get stuck for days. One of our guys did get stuck mm, for days. For an extra day because uh, they said his document, his test was four hours too early. He took his PCR <laughs> test four hours too early, and they basically they grounded him for a day while he had to redo all the tests. Oh my goodness! So, so this sort of thing is very real. And so we started. I extended my prayer from just praying about the plane to praying for all those workers in all the airport time. I often I kind of left the airports out of praying, and a lot of stuff can happen at airports, and now it really does. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I included that time in the airports, and uh, we had a situation where our documentation was late on arriving, and um, we had to figure out ways to kind of get through with our documentation a little bit out of sync, and God honored that, and we got through every every challenge, and we were able to get all the way into Dubai, which was just terrific. Um, then um, w- one of the things is like, so the next thing I do when I pray is when you arrive someplace, you're going to be staying in some place which is not yours and not, not the place you've been praying through regularly. So how do you deal with that? So we stayed at friends of ours in Dubai, uh, missionaries, and um, they told us that it would be interesting for me, they said, because the room I'm staying in is a room that just got vacated by somebody that they'd been ministering the gospel to in uh, in a country they previously served, and one of the things for her was that they were praying for her for deliverance because she, um, she's been having a hard time sleeping, and she did not sleep one moment the entire time oh, she was there goodness. in the room I was going to be staying in. So I thought, oh, okay, thanks for letting me know that. <laughs> so, so I, I prayed. I did the priestly prayer over the room and trying to make sure that it was cleaned out. There was nothing left behind from this person who had been struggling and spent the days, you know, in that room because I also need to sleep at night, you know, to quickly get on there. So prayed for that. Um, then of course there's we went to a hotel hotels are very busy places where lots of things happen so we pray through our meeting room we pray through the the place we pray for the staff we pray for um uh, obviously the bedrooms and things like that that we're going to be staying in and we just kind of cover the space so it's kind of like uh, you're kind of an insurgency like you're arriving into another territory which is not your own and so you want to like you know push out the boundaries create a safe place and a welcome place for god and the kingdom to arrive so this was part. This is part of just the regular practice we do like every day. There's one other thing to do and to pray about. Um, of course, there's other things that are happening in the region, and we had a situation in the region where we had um, 
two believers that were sentenced to death. These were young, uh, relatively recent followers of Christ that were sentenced to death because of their faith, because they became followers of Jesus. And they were formerly Muslims, and they were telling people about Jesus. And um, the one man was turned in by his brother and asked to be killed by his brother. These are called honor killings. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and we were been praying for these for all. So one right before we got there, one of the the day I think before I left, um, we'd been praying for priestly prayer over the situation. Right there's a government, there's some religious issues, there's uh, family issues, uh, lots of uh, really dark things that were happening uh, and surrounding these young believers. Uh, and of course they're in prison, right, and waiting waiting to be executed. It's a pretty grisly situation. And so many of us were banded together for priestly prayer. And um, the first thing happened was the judge put a stay on the execution. Then the district, their version of a district attorney went and reviewed the case. And then uh, he decided to release the man wow. and uh, reverse the decision. So wow. there's one guy that was on his way to being a martyr for his faith and then got released. Wow. Naturally, the, the team said, well, hey, maybe you should kind of take a break from all the, all the disciple making and take a break. He goes, no, this is what I live for. So this is, this is it. So what he did is he did like this, like this, like the New Testament, right? What do you do when people try to kill you in the New Testament? You move to another city. So that's exactly what he did. He packed up his family. They got through and they just moved to another city. So now the gospel will show up wow. in another city in the, in the close country and where he lives. And it's going to start all over. Meanwhile, they nabbed another guy uh, also that was in, and he's still in prison, and um, he's awaiting his trial. So he has not been condemned yet to death, but so we're still contending and praying for him. So these are very practical things. I mean, we, how, do you, how do you pray for a situation where you can actually seek to intervene and overturn what a government is yeah. going to do? Strictly because somebody has come to faith in Jesus, uh, it's obviously a ploy of the enemy. And there's obviously institutions and people and education and authorities which have all been banded together for the interests of the enemy. And so you have to kind of unwrap those things, unpeel them one at a time, take the enemy out of being in control of the situation, and then you know bind him up and then go ahead and pray in the blessing of God. So we're still contending for this last gentleman, B, we call him, and uh, to see if God would release him too. But the gospel is going forth in leaps and bounds in this brand new country. There were no groups at the beginning of last year, and I think there's over 70 groups now. Then mm. um, it started in a jail with a jailer in a prison cell. Wow. Um, when the jailer asked this woman who had been in prison for her faith um, uh, why it was that she believed wow. in Jesus. So, and now it's grown to a small movement in a country that, as far as we know, hasn't had a movement of the gospel uh, in recent wow. history. So it's very yeah. exciting. But there's a lot of cost. So how do you unwrap things, right? So this is, so for me, it's like the natural thing is something new happens. It's a tragedy or it's, it's difficult or whatever. It's like, oh, this is an obvious place to just lean in and just do priestly prayer. And so that's very much my pattern now. Yeah. I, I want to fill in some gaps of a couple of things you said for our audience. But um, yeah, one of the things is Nadim is um, he's the, the head leader in the Middle East for Novo. So that was one of the names that Keith was mentioning. And then um, Keith said groups, we, we call them discovery Bible study groups. And uh, God is rapidly um, multiplying these across the Middle East where Muslims are in these groups discovering who Jesus is even before they believe. And, uh, and so I just want to fill in those gaps. I mean, I'm just amazed. But yeah, I want to turn it over to you, Tim. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll stop talking. But yeah, I think we're going to get into some more Q&A um, here in a little bit. But I was thinking that we could um, pivot to Jane, who's very used to following Keith, as uh, many of you know, <laughs> who got to experience Keith's teaching 
Um, John A got to kind of hop on calls at the end of it and just kind of give some practical application. And so I think what I was hoping to kind of just ask of you, John A, is really like kind of for half the country who didn't get to hear you. Tell us about, so Keith kind of said in, in the Middle East, this is kind of how we're doing. What about like uh, in Southern California, going from work to school to like, what does acting as a priest and praying as a priest look like in a kind of our Western, you know, United States context, or even, you know, just kind of the normal world, if you will. Yeah. Um, as I was listening to Keith, I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is amazing. And it was actually really fun because I'm on a prayer chain for the Middle East. So while Keith was there, I was priestly praying in California for everything going on in the Middle East. And it was actually real. I mean, it wow. kind of brings tears to my eyes, but it was actually really cool to think of priests, like all joining together and praying mm. <laughs> for the Middle East. So that was kind of cool. Cause I was getting the updates of just, um, him mm. being released and all that stuff. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Cause I know there's like priests now all over cause we're all priests doing this. And, um, yeah, that was super exciting. So Anyways, I was thinking, okay, that's what Keith's last week looked like. Whoa, (laughs) what did my last week look like? Um, And I was thinking of all the different ways I priestly prayed this week specifically. And I went back a week last Thursday. And last Thursday, I had, um, for the first time, hosted my son's youth group at our house. So we had, uh, well, it's not a youth, it's his little small group. So we had 27th grade boys which that's crazy junior high boys 20 in my house and just like a very boys I don't know and boys coming from all different backgrounds and different um home lives and so very practically I priestly prayed over my home I stood at my Dutch door and before they all showed up I um priestly prayed and just covered it and covered it all. I bound and loosed and did the whole thing. And it was just a super blessed time. So practically as a mom for me, um, it looked like that. It looked like I worked on Monday. And so priestly praying over my hospital before I walked in and all the nurses, there's a huge movement. Um, we actually just had two nurses come to faith after 10 years of praying over our, um, over my hospital, which has been super cool. There's a huge movement in labor and delivery right now at my hospital, which is incredible. And it's cool because I have um, five nurses in Novo cohort right now going through it with me. So I feel like I'm joined with other priests also praying over my unit. And there's just a huge movement of the spirit there right now. So that's super exciting. Um, And then uh, two days ago, I went to... um, uh, Basically, it's a it's a outreach kind of, but it's a prayer group for um, our elementary school where moms are invited to come, and um, it there's all kinds of women coming to that, and so just I priestly prayed over that, just um, that people would come to know Jesus, they would feel known and heard and seen, and um, we would unite over the love of our children, over the love of our school, and um, just saw. Us, we we've seen in the last month about our numbers double and so uh, just women coming like I don't know how they're hearing about it but they're just showing up and they want to pray over our school and over our kids and these are women who've never prayed before in their life 
So that has been exciting. So those are why I was like writing really quick. What are the four play? Those are four. Oh, one other one is I prayed over my son's golf tournament this weekend. Um, he's in really competitive golf and it tends to be an environment that is not um, godly and extremely not for each other because um, it's an individualized sport and it's a high level. So, and my husband got to caddy him. So Priestley prayed over the land, over their dynamic, over um, all the other kids that he'd be paired up with, that they'd be for each other and encouraging each other and um, just loose the kingdom over that golf course and over that tournament. And um, anyways, so those are my ways this week, tangibly, that I've used the Priestley prayer. So That is awesome. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. yeah, it's so neat just seeing how almost each event or each next mm-hmm. thing becomes an opportunity to say, God, what are you up to? And like, just, just the thought, this is how I want it to go. God, would you allow that to happen here? Which is just really, really neat. Yeah. Stephen, anything come to mind for you? Well, I'm thinking not only is the priesthood larger than a country, like we just we moved from Dubai, then we went to seventh graders, then we went to a golf tournament, <laughs> then we went to a hospital, right? Like, so let's just cross another wall and let's go to the country of Texas, is what I'm thinking with Kelsey <laughs> Phillips, right? So you guys got to see John A. And then some of you heard from Keith, but I want to invite Kelsey in the conversation from Dallas, Texas. What What's the priesthood look like for you in your daily life, Kelsey? Okay, well, I love this thread of thinking back even just to the last week or last few weeks. So in the last few weeks, you may have heard of like the Snowmageddon that hit, you yeah. know, the U.S. Well, interestingly, my, my husband and myself, we have been priestly praying our, our home and our block in our neighborhood for the past three years. And there's just been a lot of fun fruit from that. One piece of fruit has just been, my house has kids in it, just like John A's all the time. I, I look up, I'm like, who are all these people and how did they get here? <laughs> but I love it. I love that they're in my home. That's been such a gift. But what's interesting about last week or the last few weeks is our neighborhood was one of the only neighborhoods, one of the few neighborhoods in the DFW area that never lost power, that never had water issues, and never lost heat. And there's no explanation for it because literally like five houses down that way in the other neighborhood, you know, 20 houses down in that neighborhood, it was havoc. And we were hosting people to do laundry in our our house and have meals in our house because they lost power and water. And I looked at my husband and I was like, this is wild. Our Our little patch is this bizarre little patch. Why is this one not dealing with all the issues that every other friend we had was dealing with. And he looked at me and he's like, well, we have been priestly praying our neighborhood for three years. Do you think that has something Mm. to do with it? And I was like, wow. Wow. So lots of protection and favor, um, I think, were fruit from those prayers that have been building for three years. And then I think about yesterday, I'm in my car, and I don't know if moms across America feel this way, but carpool pickup is a dangerous time. It is the time where the kids have been holding their emotions in all day, and then they open the car and they unleash. Um, and like, yes, they're every emotion <laughs> they have, either it's hyper or it's anger or it's sadness or it's just tears. And I literally have to prepare myself every day at 2.40 for this moment of the, the, the minivan car door opening and the flood coming in because it gets me riled up. 
And I have started priestly praying my car in carpool for the afternoon to be smooth. And I have noticed a significant change in the, temper- the, the temperature of my kids when they get in the car in the afternoon. I know that's a simple thing, but it significantly made our afternoons of homework and activities and dinner and bedtime so much smoother. And then I think about today at 1230, I have an appointment with a teacher from my school. She's pulling out of her class during while her kids are at art. And she and I are going to prayer walk our campus where my girls go to school. We have a prayer event tomorrow there. Uh, Jonay, I love that you said there's a movement going on in the labor and delivery at your hospital. There's a similar movement going on at my kids' school. And we've had, gosh, probably like 25 or 30 parents go through the cohort in the last three years. That priesthood is building. And we're seeing just the Holy Spirit do some really great things and a lot of parents being set free. Uh, just a lot of captives being set free. So today, even at 1230, I'll be linking up with a teacher at the school to do some prayer walking and prepping for our prayer event tomorrow. So that's just a little glimpse into what that looks like in in Dallas, Texas today, now, yesterday, and this afternoon. Well, and I love how you're opening the door for our next session on prayer walking, um, which is so awesome. So get ready for that. That's going to be an amazing session. And I think our identity as priest, it actually gives us foundation for moving into prayer walking, um, which is really powerful. But hey, thank you all for just sharing. I, I think it's helpful as listeners and as cohort attendees to hear real life stories, like from the concept to the practical Um And I don't know if you're like me, like sometimes I can read a scripture and I'm like, oh, that's such a great story. And then this guy, Keith Ebley, starts in numbers and you're like, wait, where is he going with this priesthood passage? Wait, and now it's practical. Like, how did that happen? And so I think these stories help with that. Um, And Stephen, I'm going to interrupt you right there because I think this is a good place to segue uh, and create a part A, part B podcast for our listeners Let's get back into it in a little bit with part two of Stories from the Tool Shed. For now, blessings as you go from here as you start to ponder what life looks like as a royal priest, as you pray, as you practice, as you contend for people and places around you and for the kingdom of God to come. In Jesus' name. If you have an encouraging story, we would love to hear it. Email us at cohort.stories at novo.org.